is Zoe, I'm in grade 12, and I am an ear of East. Hello, my name is Bella, and I'm in grade 12, and I'm an ear of East. Hello, my name is Edwight, I'm in grade 12, and I'm an ear of East. Hello, my name is Fraser, I'm in grade 12, and I'm an ear of East. Hello, my name is Gabby, I'm in grade 11, and I'm an ear of East. Hi, I'm Herbert, I'm a grade 12 student, and I'm an ear of East. You are listening to the Global Politics Podcast, brought to you by the students of UWC-SEA. Hello, welcome to Ears of East. Today we are going to be focusing on the perception of the Me Too movement and kind of the pushback against what people like to call toxic masculinity. So we have a guest today from the GC Because I Am. His name is Min Su, and Because I Am is a a focus group that surrounds issues of gender equality and feminism and so he's going to come to he's going to contribute to this discussion with that point of view so i think we before we go into all the details of why it's perceived the way it is we have to look at why or what the intended purpose of the me too movement and the general pushback against masculinity or toxic masculinity is does anyone want to um, give their opinions on that I suppose as far as the purpose of the Me Too movement goes, it's a very wide movement without uh, clear leadership or and, and without a clearly printed out set of goals. But I think in general, it's definitely about com- combating widespread sexual harassment. And, it's about, and I suppose the best way to put it is that it's about speaking out against the silence about it since like harassment has been going on for a long, long time. But I think the Me Too movement, the purpose of it was to bring light to the issue. So I would agree with Mintu in that in the terms that it is kind of about bringing light to these issues that are very rarely talked about. But another, but some kind of some issues with the perception of it is that it has been taken out of context in a lot of places. And it is because, so we actually sent out a form to um, the high school students and then we got a few responses and one of the responses that made me think a lot was um, someone said that the Me Too movement was an opportunity for feminists to exploit their power and I think that's a really interesting point because it's definitely been taken out of context in some senses but in another sense it's a very it's very important that this is happening right now because it, it affects the lives of young girls and then the next generation and even older women as well. So it's a, it's just, it's just very impactful. And personally, as a girl, I feel that it's very impactful on my life and it's very important to me that this is happening. Uh, we keep on talking about the movement as a, a, a feminist thing or a woman thing, but it's about sexual harassment and it's not necessarily just about women. Um, some men also have spoken out, um, like, what's the name of that actor? Um, yeah, Terry Crews has, like, spoken out about being harassed. So we, I think we need to remember that it's not just about feminism and, and women, it's just about sexual harassment. I actually agree with what Zoe right, mm-hmm. said, but at the same time, I, I do think that the movement is a product of the feminist movement in the sense that it's the general, um, how should I put the, gen- the general th- um, ideology and way of thought that's current in this age that led to this movement taking place because like I think 50 years ago there wouldn't have been the same room for 
for people to speak out this way without the head, without the headway fem feminism has made within society. I think the feminism is definitely what has, to a large extent, caused this movement to happen, even if the movement has grown, grown beyond that. Uh, in, in that sense, I would like to also agree with the, um, most of the people speaking around the table, is that we kinda, we're kind of stepping into a realm of the kind of kind of new and i think because because the me too movement it got a, like an amazing start by its publicity and the people joining up and people actually starting to like the amount of cases that just uh, funneled up from from history is just it just totally like crashed my media media platform for example is just constantly seeing update 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 and from like from very prominent figures as we see like harvey weinstein is probably one of the like the most well-known, well-known cases next to Kevin Spacey, and I think these, this kind of like um, this uh, publicity surrounding these very like highly regarded figures in society. When we just take actors, for example, then this really helps perpetuate the goals that the Me Too movement has. And in that sense, uh, I think like people reacting to it and calling it a radical feminist movement is an extremely stupid thing because it just shows hypersensitivity towards change in society which should be inevitable because what Me Too movement is, is actually moving towards is trying to achieve some sort of gender equality in society as a whole and giving a platform for women to speak up about certain exploitations of the fact that they're simply women or like uh, when it came to Terry Crews as exploitation of a man as well. So this kind of uh, criticism towards it being a radical movement just seems that people are a little bit unacceptable like in don't accept the fact that we should be moving towards a society that is more accepting towards or more equal in all in, in all sense of the matter um so i guess we all kind of agreed on the intended purpose of the movement which is to c bring um sexual exploitation into light and to discuss it and in that way target it but of course, we've also, you've all brought up the controversies behind the Me Too movement. And since we all do agree, I think it's important that we look at why it's considered so controversial. Like, you, like Herbert explained, he thinks it's uh, hypersensitivity, right? Um, so there's two aspects that I would like us to talk about, which is one, that the Me Too movement, as expressed in the form that we gave out, uh, can often be exploited and that men often feel, or people just in general may feel um, threatened by the amount of power that this movement may have and the level of, or this uh, ideology of no, not questioning the victim and questioning what happened and simply just believing it. And then on the other hand, we also have this um, dilemma over, or this con conversation over what is considered acceptable. People aren't sure if certain um, things that they've always considered to be okay are okay any longer and they don't know where to draw that line. I suppose to address the first point, it's uh, one of the concerns I think raised in our own focus group is that it's all well and good to say to believe the victim but at the same time as far as the legal process is concerned, as far as like the actual practical aspect of, the, of such cases are concerned like I suppose that there is a certain element of due process that needs to be respected when it comes to criminal cases, and like I think there is a certain, um, I think people are, there's a certain backlash against the fact that people are being accused, and then it's just it's almost always just an accusation, and it isn't necessarily going through the court. Eventually, a verdict is given, and I think that there's that sort of 
there's a certain reluctance among, I think, a lot of people to just believe victims without without a, a process where evidence can be considered. One thing that's dangerous about it is that it, when something like this and the accusation goes viral, it can completely ruin an actor mm -hmm. or a celebrity's life. And sometimes it turns out it wasn't true. And even though it's proved afterwards that it wasn't true, that person's career has always already been completely ruined. And so actually building off that, one, in, one interesting thing that I think we discussed was the Brett Kavanaugh case. And what happened there was he was never proven innocent or guilty. So what that says a lot, so especially, so I'm from the US, so I'm gonna talk kind of more in that area. But in the US, for example, the way that the legal system works is that everyone is innocent until proven guilty. And so by, by that logic, Brett Kavanaugh should have been innocent until proven guilty, but that applies that that also applies to the the other side in the sense that Christine Blasey Ford was also innocent until proven guilty, which means that she is innocent of um, what people were claiming that she was lying about being raped. So it's a very complicated thing because at the same time, Brett Kavanaugh is innocent, but. Christine Blasey Ford is t also telling the truth until one of one side is proven um, to be right. So just just a side comment to what uh, uh, I really like what Minsu said, but also like a side comment to what Gabby said is that there's a certain like it's called the statute of limitation. It's past certain years uh, when 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 an acquisition is not made. Like uh, past a certain or before a certain uh, set of years, it depends on what kind of crime we're talking about. Then the allegations themselves don't hold any relevance because they've crossed the statute of limitation. When it came to the Brett Kavanaugh case, yes, there were hearings simply due to the fact that these accusations were made, and because he was the uh, he was the candidate uh, for Supreme Court. So, so for Supreme Court. Uh, but in a sense, his allegations don't really count anymore. Because the statute of limitations says that past an X amount of years, allegations made, can't, people can't be hold, held accountable for it. And that's in order to ensure that these kinds of situations where you have the loss of, uh, well, well the, 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 the purely the fact that you're blaming a person, that I understand that stigmatizes the person straight away and it leaves a, leaves a bad mark and very hard, very hard to digest. But like Gabby said, there's, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. In this case, you can't really prove if one is innocent or guilty because, first of all, we don't really have the evidence to to show either one of them, and second of all, like uh, complete evidence to show either one of them, and second of all, there's really no means to like to judge somebody simply due to the fact that the time has run run out. Um, actually, an interesting thing about that is that, or kind of, what the relevance of that case was to the Me Too movement was not kind of um, Christine Blasey Ford actually getting justice because I think everyone, by the time that all the hearings happened and went on, everyone had accepted already that she was probably not going to get justice because it had been too long already. But what the more important thing was, was that she was given a platform to speak out and she was given a space and she was given her time and the respect to speak out about what happened to her. And if you compare this to, I think, about 20 years ago, there was the case of Anita Hill, and she wasn't given 
She, um, so she was interrupted by judges. She, um, her points were put down. She wasn't taken seriously. She was ridiculed. Her family was ridiculed. So it's kind of, we've developed so much as a, as a society and the Me Too movement has given a platform for women to speak out about things like this. And you can very clearly see the changes I, I think it's interesting uh, since you brought up the Brett Kavanaugh case because, I, I, as you said, I don't think anyone was arguing that Kavanaugh should be convicted given all the, all the legal obstacles that are happening. And I, I suppose the thing with the Me Too movement is that it's brought these issues, which are usually criminal issues, out of the court into other spheres such as social media, employment, and politics. And I think it's a very different question. Of, like wh whether you should vote for someone who's been accused of sexual harassment or whether you should continue ex employing them. Like th that's a very different question from whether they should be convicted and put in jail. I think whether the same standards of proof need to apply in those situations is something people are um, disagreeing heavily about. And I just want to give like a personal touch on this. I have, I think the, the movement is really close to me because I've been in that situation and I've been to the police and uh, here in Singapore and I was treated like I was a criminal. And that feeling of speaking out and not being taken seriously and the complete dismissal of what I had to say as a woman that's been sexually harassed, I think that's one of the worst feeling you can ever have. And kind of building off what Zoe said, I think it's something Sexual harassment is something that's very difficult for people to grasp until it's actually happened to them or it's happened to a friend and they have firsthand experience of it because until then they just think they just think of it like human trafficking, slavery. They just think of it as it's so horrible that it can't possibly happening with be can't possibly be happening within their world. So it's very difficult for people to actually kind of grasp this and take victims seriously when actually it's a very real thing that's happening all around us. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue into our next point, which is that sexual harassment is no longer defined as this uh, cliche, horrible image of walking down the street and getting grabbed by some guy. It can happen, you know, at home, at parties, at all kinds of atmospheres, which raises issues for a lot of people because now they've been taught that certain things that they do in everyday normal life or that they see other people do are no longer accepted and are no longer just, you know, that it happens, you know? And so that brings us on to why the message is so polarized. I think we can all agree that it's quite polarized when it comes to guys and or men and women. Not all men, of course, and not all women, of course, agree or disagree with the movement, but there definitely is that d divide there. So why do you think that there is a difference and how do you think that the messaging, the rhetoric that the Me Too movement and the people around it use contribute to, for instance, male fear of its rising power? Well, I think the biggest thing about what you said, the male fear of its rising power, is more that um, kind of what ha seems to happen. And from talking to a lot of my male friends, what I seem to be getting is that men don't understand that it applies to them too because me, the Me Too movement isn't just about women who've been sexually assaulted by men. It's about women who've been sexually assaulted by women. It's about men who've been sexually assaulted by other men. It's about men who've been sexually assaulted by women. It's about us as humans and kind of what um, sexual assault on other humans. So 
the Me Too movement is just fundamentally, it's just about people, regardless of gender. And so what a lot of people who are kind of afraid of the movement or don't stand by the movement, kind of what I think they fail to understand is that it applies to everyone and it can be applied to anyone regardless of their gender. So one, I feel that once you start to understand that it's not just about women being marginalized and it's about a much bigger issue than that, that's when you kind of start to get on board with it and you kind of start to understand what a lot of the what a lot of people are saying about it. That's a very good point. And I want to refocus the question on kind of maybe of course the reception sometimes or oftentimes is uh, it's the Me Too movement is often misinterpreted because obviously we've all agreed here at least that the main purpose is quite good or very good. Um, but how do you think that the actual Me Too movement and the rhetoric that they use, how in what way can they be blamed for this polarized perception? I, I think it's interesting because we are talking about different standards of defining sexual harassment and all of that. And I think like socially that you can definitely see that change, but at the same time, in certain countries at least, I think France was trying to, was at least going to make certain laws, they're actually trying to legislate those new standards. And I think it's when that's when the things push in that direction, especially where people start to feel afraid because then they could go to jail, they could be fined. There's a case in South Korea actually that caused a lot of public uproar because um, there were because basically someone a man was convicted of um, sexually assaulting a woman when the actually but that the CCTV evidence was very flimsy. And I think when it comes to that that side of things, pe people can get a can get afraid since it's about the law and about and I think pe people do feel threatened in that sense and at the same time socially I think people do some people do fear that they will be ostracized or or what they have always done as you were saying is no longer acceptable and I think it's two different similar but different fears that are playing out here I suppose. And I think it's very hard to, I mean, sometimes it's hard to draw the line between where is the consent and where it didn't happen. Like, like, like if during like drunken sex, for example, how can you tell well, if, if the person was drunk enough, or, like where, where is that line? And like, I think for, it's very easy for a man to be accused of rape when maybe like like if the two individuals are, are drunk for example when is it rape who's are they both rapists like where do you draw the line and i think the the term sexual harassment now like the me too movement goes from being like harassed as in getting your butt grabbed in the street to being violently raped so like how do we consider how do we consider these things and like how seriously can we take each of these things i think a big issue with why a lot of things aren't taken seriously like getting your butt grabbed in the street for example would be because people think that it's so ridiculous already they think that it's so kind of oh that could never happen because it's just so it's so light that they don't take it as seriously some um, it kind of contributes to the fact that people think that it's insane that this would happen or think that it, you're being insane if you claim that something like this happened. But 
what the Me Too movement is really doing is kind of giving people the courage to speak up about things that they're uncomfortable about. I do want to uh, talk a little bit more about the Gillette commercial that came out recently. So just for a bit of background, uh, Gillette, the shaving company, released a commercial where they basically um, took on or criticized what's known as toxic masculinity, which is um, behavior that is typically encouraged by masculine norms that uh, movements like the Me Too movement have criticized and are saying uh, everything from catcalling to, uh, I mean, sexual harassment, obviously, to things that don't even have to do with gender violence, like um, uh, boys being encouraged to fight each other to resolve their problems. So uh, there has it was a very criticized movement, very polarized. Some people saw it as a beautiful message, uh, whereas other people had problems with it. For one, because they didn't think that Gillette, a, as a brand or as, as a company, should be taking on this responsibility. Unfortunately, we won't have too much time to actually go into that today. But we can talk about why um, the, the large majority of the people who had problems with the commercial didn't like the fact that it was stereotyping men, that it was targeting all of masculinity. Some people thought, didn't like the values that it was promoting. Some people didn't like the way it was promoting it. What were your guys' thoughts, and how do you think that you would um, explain the typical male point of view on this? Typical, of course. By the very nature of it being video, social media, etc., it lends itself very, very easily to slogan politics. Like it's, it's based, there's a feeling at times that they both the ad itself and the criticisms to it are basically a lot of people posting on social media, like without really thinking through their subtleties like with the ad itself as you were saying they group everything from bullying to rape together in one category and I, I get why they did that and I see how they're trying to associate that with a single cause but at the same time I'm not entirely sure that's helpful as far as actually understanding the issue goes and the same sense in the Me Too movement in general I, I think there is a certain there is a certain tendency to criticize people who when they make the slightest criticism of the movement. And I think there's one actor who, who said that there was a difference between sexual harassment and rape, and he got slammed over and over on social media for that. And I think that sort of attitude in general, where they're just of people just screaming at each other on social media, which I think the very nature of the movement being on social media lends itself to, and you can also see that from the response to ad, isn't particularly helpful to the discussion. But at the same time, I think the ad itself didn't do anything wrong per se. It's just a medium that lends itself easily to that sort of discussion. Well, would be that in, in, in today's globalized world, it's very difficult to separate multinational co um, companies from politics because obviously they play a huge part. And like, for example, Harvey Weinstein was a big sponsor of Hillary Clinton. And so that means that the Weinstein company was a big sponsor of the Clinton campaign. So they're tied into politics. All sorts of companies sponsor all sorts of different political parties and then associate themselves. So it's very difficult to disconnect economics from politics and then everything from everything else. One aspect I think we need to look at is how ingrained this issue of gender equality and the Me Too movement is in our courses at school, uh, particularly in the IB. Uh, in all three of my higher level classes, uh, history, global politics and literature, we have covered feminism or female empowerment in some way. For example, in, uh, in history, we have examined the changing roles of women in the authoritarian regimes of Hitler and Castro. And in global politics, we looked at how uh, the empowerment of women can help a society develop. 
socially, economically, and even politically. And um, in literature, uh, for, for me, we, we read a play called Dead White Males by David Williamson that in, included feminism as a thematic concern that was uh, prevalent throughout the play. So um, as a pertinent issue that has existed throughout history, I, th I feel that it is imperative that we do look at issues like these because as a school, one of the qualities that underpin our, our learning is commitment to care, which uh, is specific, saying that is uh, specifically concerned for inequity and a commitment to social justice, which um, if we look at the Me Too movement it's been, and gender equality in general, it's been compromised by sexual assault and harassment. So personally, while um, while we don't necessarily cover the Me, Me Too movement as a part of the curriculum, I would expect that in five or so years' time it will be become a part of social sciences and uh, even the group three subjects at school. Because at the moment, though, even for people like myself who are not 100% knowledgeable in the history of Me Too movement, the school makes us aware and open-minded to issues like these. And that's why I think that the school does a very good job of, of not enforcing it, but making it a part of the curriculum. And uh, it helps people like myself become aware of what the Me Too movement means and how we, even as, even as a school and students in grade 11 and 12, what we can do to help uh, help these issues that are that are um, widely covered in mainstream media at the moment. So we do have to wrap this up, but I think um, just for the sake of adding a contrasting perspective, obviously I think at least at this table we assume that um, the majority of people who watched it had a problem with it because they resonated with um, what was going on in it, which makes sense, but also I've had friends who I, at least I, maybe this is ignorant to say, but personally I never see or I've never known to do any of those things shown in the video, yet they had a problem with certain of, the, basically the rhetoric that it was proposing, such as the phrase boys will be boys. Mm -hmm. We understand it as, you know, boys in terms of as a group, as a, um, as what they represent, their societal roles. Uh, are often excused or dismissed. Their bad actions are often dismissed just because that that is part of what they're expected to do. Whereas my friend interpreted it, at, it as uh, stereotyping and saying that all boys are rapists, basically. But so to summarize, I think uh, yes, people do have a problem with it because it signifies a change in societal values. Um, also, the rhetoric often because it complements the change is often quite scary for people because they feel like they're being grouped in. And after we've spoken about it in the Me Too section of this podcast, uh, there are serious implications to being accused or being associated as part of that group. And so that just exacerbates the problem. I guess we can all agree that in order to really make this an inclusive movement, we have to f um, uh, deal with this divide between the genders and between just people in general. It doesn't have to be gender-based. And uh, maybe then we can come up with some, some solutions and move forward.